Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. Oh, I can't teach. Are you crazy? I, there's no way I could do that. But I had the license. I had my master's. And at the time, what really appealed to me was she said, you come over, you teach four classes, you have 10 office hours, you go home. Full benefit. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, your host for Life and Accounting, the Where Accounts Go podcast. That clip was from Kelly Noe, currently the interim director for the School of Accounting at Stephen F. Austin University in Nacogdoches, Texas. You're going to love this episode. Kelly's a very upbeat, joyful individual, and she shares some excellent insight into her path into becoming an accounting professor as well as some overall insight into making career choices in general. Please stay tuned to the end as well. Kelly talks a little bit about one of her other interests, the Humane Society, and I'm sure you don't want to miss those details. Here we go with Kelly Noe of Stephen F. Austin University in Nacogdoches, Texas. Kelly, thank you for taking the time to schedule this. I know we are getting into a a busy time for professors, so I really appreciate you sharing a little bit of it with our audience. Sure. I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. Well, I read a little bit about you in today's CPA magazine, but I'm sure I didn't get the full story, of course. I wanted to invite you on the show because I know from my own experience that many accountants consider, you know, getting into the teaching profession at the university level as a second career, sometimes part-time, and, and sometimes very quickly. You know, it's a, it's a very appealing thing. And I figured also, being very involved with the CPA chapter in East Texas, that you've had some good insights for our audience as well. So I'm really looking forward to this. I always like to start at the beginning, though. How did you decide to even become an accountant in the first place? What sort of led you to the profession? Well, I am a lucky person. Because I run into students all of the time that aren't really sure what they want to do. When I was 11 years old, I decided I wanted to be an accountant or I had the interest part. My grandmother had a firm in Corsicana, Texas. And during the summer, she would take me to work with her. And so I was 11 years old and I would like put checks in order for them. So the bank reconciliation was easier. That was when they actually still sent the checks, the paper checks back to you with the bank statement. (laughs) And I would file for them. You know, I would just do, you know, little jobs like that for them. So I was 11 and she paid me $5 an hour, you know, in cash and not bad. Fast forward five years, I went to work for a local grocery store as a cashier, you know, very typical 16-year-old job, and they paid me 385 an hour 
and held out taxes. <laughs> so pretty quickly, I thought, okay, this is probably the difference between, you know, having a said profession and just kind of taking the next job that comes along. So then whenever I got married, my husband and I are actually high school sweethearts, and he was already enlisted in the Marine Corps before we graduated high school. So I followed him out to South Carolina, and they only offered business or elementary education as the two degrees out there. And so I went ahead and got a business degree, a little disappointed I couldn't get the accounting degree, but I was, at the time I was in college, I was a 911 dispatcher for uh, Beaufort County. And luckily, when I graduated, there was a spot open in the finance department. And so they did hire me. I was able to start as an accountant, even though I just had the four-year bachelor's degree in business. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, you, you figured at the grocery store, I guess, that this, this accounting gig, I could be rich. You know, yeah, I may never be right, <laughs> but I can definitely uh, make a living at it, so to speak. <laughs> okay. So you had the business degree. What attracted you to, or what kept you in the profession? What did you enjoy about it at that point? I think just kind of the nature of accounting. I, it felt natural. It was, you know, easy for me and I enjoyed it. And And I tell my students that all the time, especially the ones that, business majors that are taking accounting because they have to, you know, they just want their D and they want to move on. They don't care anything about learning it or they, they have, they think they'll never, you know, use it. And uh, I tell them that all the time. You would rather have it taught to you by somebody that enjoys it. I honestly, since, you know, the very beginning have enjoyed it. When I was in Beaufort and I was working there, the lady that was my supervisor, the assistant controller, she had her CPA license and it was a requirement for her job. And so at that point, I thought, okay, I need to do that. Not that I necessarily wanted her job, but I realized I would never move on if I didn't have the license. And it's not typical for someone to go straight into government like I did. And so we started looking how can I get enough hours? Because that was the time that they implemented right then the 150 hours to uh, sit for the CPA exam. And so my husband got out of the Marine Corps and we relocated back to Texas. So I went to Stephen F. Austin, got enough hours to sit for the exam, set for the exam, and then went ahead and finished my MBA. And while when we came back, I went to work for a small tractor dealership. So I stayed in accounting. And then from there, I became the CFO of Hospice in the Pine in, in Lufkin, Texas. And from there, I enjoyed working there. So I had the governmental experience, I had nonprofit experience, and I had worked in, you know, small industry. And then with the birth of my daughter, I decided I didn't want to work anymore. So I went home and got bored at home. I applied for a job over at Stephen F. Austin in the controller's office, and I called the acting dean at the time and said, hey, you know, remember me? I got my master's there. You know, I've applied for this job. If you could, would you give me, you know, a good recommendation? And she said, you don't want to do that. Dr. Marsh needs somebody to come teach accounting. I said, oh, I can't teach. Are you crazy? I, there's no way I could do that. But I had the license. I had my master's. 
And at the time, what really appealed to me was she said, you come over, you teach four classes, you have 10 office hours, you go home, full benefits. Wasn't making any money at the time at home. It was a nice balance between doing something and being, you know, free a lot for my daughter. So I began teaching. That was in 2006. Fell in love with it. So they're the ones that convinced me, hey, if you want to make a career out of this, you need to get your PhD. So in 2007, I left SFA, went to the University of Texas, San Antonio to get my PhD, and then in 2010, returned to Stephen F. Austin as a tenure-track professor. So for me, it's not like I always had this desire to teach. I had no idea that I would fall in love with it the way that I did. Wow. I, yeah, I had no idea the story was going to go this way. That's interesting. So yes, you weren't even seeking it out. They <laughs> they ask you if you'd take a different job. I love it. Exactly. And that's <laughs> one of the things, if I hadn't taken that chance, I would not have found really, when people say you need to do something you love, I had no idea it's what I love to do until I tried it. So, and I can say that I am a very happy person in teaching in, in my job. Wow. I'm going to go back a little here because there's a detail here I, I don't want to miss or pass over. It's possibly a, a good story. It, it sounds like you were only a staff accountant for a few years and then boom, you're CFO of a hospital. Yes. And yeah. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that Lufkin is a smaller town and it was, and it's a nonprofit, you know, nonprofits have a hard time sometimes getting people to work for them because there's this idea that, you know, they don't pay, they're just not quite as good. But what I found very early in my career, because I am kind of atypical because I've never worked a day in public accounting, nothing wrong with public accounting. I just knew I wasn't cut out for it. And working in government, I think I got spoiled to a regular eight to five Monday through Friday work week. And so I've always valued my time. And then especially after my daughter was born, my time was very valuable to me. Okay. Okay. I'm curious, I'm really very ignorant about the professor profession, but what are your hours like now as a PhD, a tenured professor? Well, when you go tenure track, you pick up the research requirement and the service requirement. Mm -hmm. And our work, my work week is not, I would say, any less than the average person, but I have more control over my time. This particular, this year, well, last June, I took over as the interim director of the School of Accountancy. So it's a little different now because being in administration is a little bit different with the flexibility. But one of the best things about being a professor is the fact that you teach your classes, you meet your office hours, and you get your research done, but it's kind of on your own time. So if I want to work at, you know, nine o'clock at night after everybody's in bed, I can work at nine o'clock at night and do the research portion. Okay. So you own your schedule a little more. I mean, you're, you're mm-hmm. working a typical number of hours, so to speak, but okay. Wonderful. Well, what do you enjoy most about it outside of the schedule? <laughs> <Obviously>. <laughs> the uh, relationship that I build with the students. It's absolutely seeing a student grow into themselves, so to speak, seeing a student take a job that they really enjoy, seeing students be successful, just the relationships that I form with the students. And I mean, I had students that I had 
you know, the first year that I was there, you know, as they get married, as they have children, you know, I keep up with them. Not all of my students, obviously, but watching them grow like that. Okay. I guess given that, that you're, you're watching, you know, as they continue to progress and, and learn and get into their career, what do you find is the biggest misconception with students about the profession or about getting their career started? And what, what do you find the ongoing need to, to continue to educate them on in that respect? I really have two answers to that question. You have some students who don't realize that they have to have the master's level. You don't have to have the master's degree to sit for the CPA exam, but you do have to have 150 hours. And so a lot of times they'll get their four-year degree in accounting and they think, okay, well, I'll go to work and then later on I'll do that, you know, which is very hard for them. It's better to just go ahead and get it done while you're there. And yes, you actually do have to meet these requirements. They don't always understand the requirements. They know what they want their end result to be, but they don't always know. You have to help them with the path to get there. And then the other big misconception is that public accounting is the only game in town. Sometimes our students, especially in our area, because it is the public accounting firms are the ones that recruit for us the most heavily, they don't realize that, hey, yeah, you can make a career in industry. In industry, like uh, Halliburton, for example, they want you to have your license. So they won't hire a student that's not eligible to sit for the exam. So those are probably the two biggest things that I deal with with students, trying to help them find their way through the accounting career path. Yeah, that that is something that's unique about the, the CPA path is that you know, that extra year plus of, of education that, that you need to get. I mean, do you have any thoughts on how we could do a better job ensuring that, that people understand <laughs> that uh, that's in their best interest and, and don't don't get two or three years, or well, maybe not three years, but, you know, one or two years into college and then realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm going to have to get 30 extra hours. Yeah. I need to do this. Yeah. At, at yeah. SSA, we're fortunate because we allow our students to overlap. And so they actually don't graduate with their four-year degree. They can take the undergrad and graduate courses at the same time, their senior level and graduate courses, and overlap. And then when they graduate, they get the master's degree and the bachelor's degree. So we kind of, from the very beginning, you know, start educating them on that, if this is what you want to do. But I always have a student, I had a student a few years ago, he told me, no, 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 I've, I've got my four-year degree, I'm done. It was, he graduated in May, he said, I'm going to go make some money now. And then I saw him on my roster in the fall in my research class, and I said, well, what are we doing? He goes, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> so he had to come back and finish, so... And and the the 150 hours has been in place long enough. I think that sometimes you take students and they don't even really understand going to the university, going to a college. A lot of times they're just there because it's simply the next step. And so you have to educate them and help them understand, here's what you need to do now that you're here. Okay. Yeah, I, I found that at the community college level, sometimes when people are pursuing, like there's a two plus two program in San Antonio and that, that sometimes they, they don't realize the, the number of classes that don't transfer, you know, and mm-hmm. to the four-year university, not with the two plus two program, but with that concept of, you know, community college then four-year university. And, and I, I would suspect that some of them don't realize that 
it's two plus three. <laughs> you know, yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. That. And that you just need to stay where you're at and finish that fifth year because it's really hard to make yourself go back once you're out. Yes, yeah, life gets in the way. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of sell yourself short on career opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, your, your student probably went out and made some money. Now he's decided he wants to make more money. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Well, what, what courses are you teaching, uh, or what courses have you been teaching this semester? This semester, with the, doing the administrative position, I'm only teaching the Graduate Accounting Information Systems course, okay. and it's actually been a lot of fun because we've done all hands-on. The students have done Excel projects with the accounting cycle. They've done manufacturing and logistics simulations in SAP, so that's what I'm teaching right now. My favorite course to teach is Intermediate too, and I think I'm finding that I really enjoy that one because all of the students are required to take it, so I end up meeting them all. And so as I've been teaching fewer courses and just staying in the, at the grad level, I find that I'm losing touch with more and more of the students. Interesting. Intermediate too is probably people's least favorite class to take. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes it's the one that causes them to change their major. <laughs> yes, you know, that's what I've always heard. Do you, do you have any idea of the, the statistics, so to speak, behind that, of, of how many accounting majors, or, you know, percentage-wise? I mean, do you think it's 10%? I'm sorry. I have, yeah, I have no idea. No. Okay. With the, yeah, I can't even guess on that. Okay. All right. I mean, that's that's the old joke that, you know, that's what turns county majors into finance majors. Or mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is did, you ever, did you ever teach principals or, you know, the first I did. I, see, I taught principals when I was a lecturer. And then when the first year I came back and I was finishing my dissertation, the first year I was back at SFA, I taught it. And I taught it, as a matter of fact, at UT San Antonio. And it's a lot of fun to teach because you see all of the majors. And sometimes you can even help someone, guide someone into or out of accounting just that early. I had a student, she was a political science major, and she was phenomenal at accounting, and she wanted to be an attorney. And so I told her, I said, you know, this is, you're really good at this. And someone told her that the best way into law school was an accounting degree. So she changed her major to accounting for that reason. And I told her, I said, you know, if you get your five-year degree in accounting, worst-case scenario, you, you know, you can, you're still very employable. Well, her fourth year of school, her parents wouldn't pay for her fifth year of school. So her fourth year of school, she and her boyfriend decided to get married. And they got married, and she was able to go to work at Halliburton just before she graduated. And now she's a very happy accountant at Halliburton. I think this is her third or fourth year there. And eventually, she wants to go back to school with Halliburton's support to become a tax attorney. So she was able to mesh both things that she wanted to do. Hmm. I'm curious, when, when you were teaching principals, when you talk about leading someone into the profession or you know, helping them realize that may, maybe accounting is a really good fit for you, what is it that you're seeing in the student at that point that helps you identify them as Yep. That natural aptitude. A lot of students, okay. I, I joke and I say a lot of 
students feel like they're hostages of that class, of, <laughs> of both principal courses, because they have to take it. Every, every business major has to take those two courses. And so I, I'll, I'll ask them, you know, how many are accounting majors? Okay. How many are marketing majors? Okay. Do you consider yourself a hostage of the course because you're here and you have to be here and you've got to get credit for it. And it's funny how many of uh, the attitude they have when they come into it of just, I've just got to survive this. And then when they finally have a natural aptitude for it, we do get a lot of major changes at that level and you just see it. They perform well on the exams. They get the material. They can answer the questions in class. They just, they just get it. Okay. Well, I guess on the flip side, other than poor performance in class, is there anything you've noticed with students that has caused you to say, you know, maybe, maybe accounting is not the right major for you? Yes. And usually though, at that, at the principal's level, you don't see it. Usually it's when they get into intermediate one and two. You know, if they're repeating intermediate one and they don't do well there, they're probably not going to do well in intermediate two and they and they're, they struggle a lot. Usually you just kind of can tell them, you know, if you, if you have a low GPA and you have it, because a lot of recruiters look at that grade in intermediate one and intermediate two, you can stick with it and you can suffer through but it may not be for you, you know, and just kind of help them find something that they prefer to do. And a lot of times you find that those are the students that are there, you know, because mom and dad were accountants or uncle was an accountant, you know, they're not really there out of interest in accounting. They're just surviving and they could really thrive somewhere else. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about going down that line of questioning, but I think that given that you've been in that position, I think it's some really good information for our listeners if they're earlier on in their college career and, and they're, you know, thinking about the right direction. So thank you. Thank you. Now you're, you're president of the East Texas chapter now for the yes. CPA Society. How long mm-hmm. have you been, I guess, active at the board level? Has that been many, many years or is that a fairly new? Uh, not many, many years, but yeah, a few years, at least since I've been involved with the chapter since I went to teach at SFA the first time in 2006, but I've served as the president. I'll be on the board of directors for the Texas Society going into next year, and I've served on the scholarship committee for the East Texas chapter just about the entire time I've worked at SFA. So I support them and get involved and enjoy it. Okay. My understanding is of all the CPAs in Texas, more or less 50% are, are members of TSCPA, you know, the local chapter, and, and then more or less 50% are, are not. I mean, so, so for those that, that aren't, I mean, what, what do you enjoy most about the involvement and, and how have you made that decision to be involved? For me, it's the networking. And it's, you know, when you have a question, you generally have someone to go to. And it's very beneficial, I feel, for my students because I know a lot of the people then that work in the industry and their accountants, whether they're at firms or they're at corporations, and I can, they'll call me and they'll say, hey, you know, are you, do you have any students that are looking in this area? And you can a lot of times help just from the relationships that I have from the chapter, I can help students form relationships and get jobs. Okay. Wonderful. Did you have sort of a march up to president, so to speak, you know, going through secretary and treasurer and president elect and president or how did, 
treasurer, I believe, is where I started. Treasurer and then president-elect and then president, yes. Okay, all right. So It seems like, I don't remember, it was a few years ago how it transformed, but basically they said, will you? And I said, sure. Okay, so you've been involved for a while and now your term's coming to an end here in another month or so. Yes, at the end of May. What are your dreams or or wishes for the, the chapter going forward? To stay strong, because it, just because I won't be serving them on their board for the local chapter doesn't mean I won't still be involved, but our cha- the East Texas chapter offers a lot of CPE and a lot of networking opportunities that I think are invaluable for accountants, both that are actually working and the students that are coming into it. Okay. So I hope that the chapter stays strong. Okay. I figured I... I... I know that, or at least when, when I was president of the San Antonio chapter, just at, at one point I had the realization, wait, wait a minute, all this is about to end. You know, I, I'm not quite done with everything <laughs> we like to see accomplished. So <laughs> I have more goals. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So just figured, figured I'd ask that. Yeah, you, you've had such a, a successful career and you, you seem so happy and, and just joyful and, and pleased with how that has went in, in your overall life. I don't know that you're going to have an answer for this, but it's a question I like to ask. Knowing what you know now, if you could go back in time and, and give your younger self, so to speak, a piece of advice, what, what do you think you'd tell yourself? Probably don't second guess it. Just go for it. Because I was very intimidated with the thought of going to school for a PhD and all of the time, I, I, I see students that are interested, but they don't think they can do it. And I always tell them, if I can do it, anyone can do it. And now I believe that. My younger self did not believe when people would tell me, you can do that. You know, you, you always have that, that lack of self-confidence or that second guess of what happens if I don't. For example, taking the CPA exam, the first time I took it, oh, I was so... I would say arrogant, for lack of better words. I thought, I've always been an A student. I've never in my life gotten a C. You mean I just have to make a 75? Okay. I showed up to that exam without studying. Of course, was not successful with it, and I took it when it was oh. still paper and pencil. Was not successful. And went back and studied for it. And I was able to pass three parts, and then I went back a third time to pass the last part. So I think I was a little overconfident there, but a lot of times I wouldn't try something new or different because I thought I just couldn't do it. And most of the time, if you just go ahead and try it, you, you would surprise yourself. There you go. And from what I understand, there's really a limited number of spots for, at least in Texas, for those looking to get a Ph.D., in accounting. To actually get into school? Yes, to, to get into yes. a program. Yes, I will tell you, when I graduated in 2011, we are very, very short of accounting PhD people. We need accounting PhD people. There were 12 jobs advertised 
for every PhD person in accounting graduating the year that I graduated in, in 2011. And those were just the jobs that were advertised at the American Accounting Association conference. So it wouldn't count a school like where I teach at Stephen F. Austin that doesn't, you know, run their positions through there. So we are very, very short. But yes, the program is very rigorous and it's not, you can't just apply and get in. I mean, you have to meet their standards. And within the profession, we have a lot of retirements and the pipeline coming in, there aren't enough to fill them. I'm looking right now for a professor and I imagine next year I have people that are probably going to retire. So I'll be looking for two more people. It's like we're constantly trying to get positions filled. Mm, So if anyone out there is interested in it, they should pursue it. It's not easy. But it's worth it in the end. I wonder where people could go to find, I wonder if there's a salary survey out there somewhere for educators. Do do you know? I don't actually know if there is one specifically for educators. And I will tell you, with schools, it is all over the board as far as what schools will pay and what they're authorized to pay. But probably a PhD student an accounting student, PhD student coming out this year, there's probably very little opportunity that they would take less than 100000 And I've heard all the way up to being hired at 140000 160000 Okay. Thank you. I, I know there's a lot of places for the accounting profession in general, you know, what a staff account makes, a controller. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't sure where you'd find that. Okay. Thank you. That, and that it's, like I said, it is very all over the board. Yeah. 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 You can definitely make a living at that level. That's that's good. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I say about where, where I'm at at SFA because in the county that I live in, it, it it's plenty of money to live in the area. So they're definitely, and the salary ranges have skyrocketed because of the shortage. Mm, okay. Okay. Well, anyone out there listening that, that has an interest, and now's the time. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, and I I did mention that uh, I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about any other interests, nonprofit interests, volunteer interests, because this podcast is going to come out towards the end of May. So, you know, if there's anything you'd like to talk about in that area that that would be timely. Are you involved in any other interest outside the university? Yes, that I am a huge animal lover, animal welfare. I support it completely. And I volunteer and have for many years with the Humane Society for Angelina County, the Lindbergh Humane Society. And they have an annual golf tournament at Crown Colony Country Club in Luskin every June. That is a good opportunity for people if they're interested to support and get to play at a course that you don't normally get to play at if you're not a member. Oh, okay. Wonderful. In June. All right. In June. There, mm-hmm. It's called the Dog Days of Summer. <laughs> Is there a website for that particular location? or The Winnieberry, uh, Angelina County Humane Society. Probably Google Angelina County Humane Society and that would come up. Okay. Yeah, and it's Winnieberry Humane Society is the name of it. Okay. I will put a link in the notes. Perfect. Well, there are a few questions I end every podcast with, so I'm going to get to those, and and then we'll we'll say goodbye. First of all, what's been your proudest moment? I would have to say the birth of my daughter, because it 
changes you as a person and motivates you. If not for her, I would not have ever ended up in teaching because I probably never would have left my job in the first place in the nonprofit world. And being motivated to get the PhD, which is probably my second proudest moment of my life, you know, to give her a better life. Beautiful. Yeah, I I have a daughter myself, and you're right. It it gives you a whole different perspective. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us about a mistake you've made, what you learned from it, of course. And frankly, the more colossal, the better. (laughs) The more colossal? Probably the one that has stuck with me forever When I was a cashier at the grocery store, I had someone come in and they bought a very inexpensive pack of gum, just a little package of gum, and they gave me $100 for it. Hmm. And I will never know if that $100 bill was real or not because I gave them the change to it plus their $100 bill back. (gasps) Oh my God. So (laughs) you can imagine when I settled my till that night that I was way off and it stuck with me forever as far as being careful, being conscientious, slowing down, you know, being very, very careful with what I did. So it probably set me on a different path. It cost uh, the poor grocery store some money, but I I learned a very valuable lesson from it. And it was strange because when I counted down at that point, I remembered what I did. You know, now why I did it, I'll never be able to explain. I guess that's what makes it a mistake. But I remember doing it. That's what was so insane to me. That's interesting. You know, and actually, uh, there's no way we'll ever know, but there, there's a high probability, I would think, that that $100 bill was fake in the first place if, if they're paying for a pack of gum or something with a $100 Exactly. Bill. Knowing yeah. what I know now, yeah. And I'm surprised that guy didn't come back and just keep going through the line. Let me, try, let me try this again. Let's find her and do that again. And that's what's so funny to me now because knowing what I know now what, with the purchase they made, it probably wasn't real. So, you know, the store may still have been out that $100, but at least I would have had something to show for it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a good one. That's a good one. Well, I like to end on a high note. So the last question I usually ask is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? I would say, I know as corny as it sounds, is the golden rule. Treat people like you want to be treated. Don't treat anyone without respect. And don't do anything or ask someone to do anything that you wouldn't you yourself do. Because I think a lot of times people get motivated by their personal intentions and forget how their actions affect other people. And even in the classroom, I always try to be fair all across the board with all of the students and treat them with fairness and respect. Yes, yes. You can't, can't go wrong with the golden rule. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. This is a wonderful You're very story. I didn't anticipate that someone had convinced you to go into the teaching profession. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice little twist. That really is. And, and I love your... Mm-hmm. Don't second guess it, just go for it. Advice. Just try it. Yeah, you never know where you'll land. It's worked for you. <laughs> it has worked. It has worked. Well, I really appreciate your time, and I hope to talk to you again soon. All right, thank you.
That was Kelly Noe of Stephen F. Austin University in Nacogdoches, Texas. As I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, Kelly was really a pleasure to interview. She just has a, a very joyful spirit, and I bet she's an excellent professor and, and really excellent advisor to her students there at the university. If you enjoyed this particular episode, you may also want to go back and listen to episode two with Professor Dennis Elam or episode 15 with Professor Kathy Kapka, both of which are accounting professors here in Texas. This has been Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. We hope to have you join us again next week for another episode with an everyday hero in the great profession of accounting. Stay tuned. There's more to come.